The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, a movie podcast. Uh, yes, again, it's another intermission cast. Couldn't get the gang together this week, so uh, here I am doing another uh, flying solo sort of thing. And uh, people seem to like them, so uh, I'll keep doing them. I've gotten a little bit of a positive response for these, so uh, thank you very much to everyone who's uh, commented and said they liked them. I was actually kind of worried that I was just going to sound really boring and awkward and... These one-man kind of things are just, they're, they're harder to do because you want a conversation going. You don't want to be just talking to yourself, essentially. But, uh, yeah, they seem to be going well. I am enjoying doing them. I get to go back into some of my old material from my blog and just talk about some random bullshit uh, movie-wise that comes to my head or that I want to talk about. So, good for that. It's a little bit of stuff off of my brain. So that's cool. I'm going to go right to a user comment here. Uh, later on, I'm going to be, yet again, reading a film reviews from my old written review archive. I picked another couple of ones to talk about. This time it sort of kind of follows the theme of the sex comedies that we've been doing. And then later on, I'm going to talk about the latest film sensation on YouTube, Kung Fury. Give a little rundown of that and tell you what I thought of it. But like I said, we got a user comment here, or listener comment. I keep saying user comment for some reason, I don't know why. But this was from Roger Shaw, and he says he'd like to see an episode of you guys comparing classic slasher horror films to their mostly awful remakes made in the last 10 to 15 years. And that's an interesting idea. I like that suggestion. Remains to be seen whether I can get Paul to agree to uh, join in on that one. Paul is not only remake uh, phobic, but just modern horror movie phobic uh, to the extreme. For, for the most part of it, if it was made any time after the 1980s, he's not really all that interested in it. Can't say I would blame him too much either. Uh, I generally sort of swing that way as well on a lot of things. But yeah, I might be able to convince him to uh, look into some uh, remakes with me. Uh, I'm pretty sure Daniel would be more than happy to. So um, we'll try to bang something out in the next few months. Probably won't include it with our slasher series, or maybe we will. We'll see We'll see how we work it out. Um, it'll take a little bit of planning, but we'll see if we can get it done. So, uh, yeah, keep listening, um, and thanks for the comment. Just, just a little quick note on what is coming up next in the actual podcast, the real episodes, quote-unquote. The next episode we record will be the Russ Meyer film, uh, The Immoral Mr. T's, and we'll also be doing... The Party Animal from 1980, I can't remember the date right now, I think 84. Really strange sex comedy and a really early sex comedy, so we're going to do those together. The next episode after that should be the horror-slash-sci-fi sex comedy episode that we were planning on doing. Going to be Ghoulies Go to College and probably Not of This Earth. Look forward to that, and then of course the final episode in the sex comedy series will be Revenge of the Nerds. And that will be one episode just dedicated to that one film. 
and yeah, after that we'll just probably do a couple random episodes, whatever tickles our fancy. Um, I was talking to Daniel about doing a uh, movie villain episode where we just talk about our favorite movie villains. Uh, hopefully can, can get Paul in on that one as well. Might bring some really interesting choices, so uh, we'll look forward to that. Now I'm going to go into uh, what I've watched this past week. I haven't watched a lot of stuff. I think the most... Other than Kung Fury, which I'm going to talk about later, the only thing I've really uh, watched and put a review up for was uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid. We have it here, uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid from 1983. Of course, it's a Chuck Norris film, and I'll just actually read my letterboxed review, tell you what I thought of it. Lone Wolf McQuaid is part modern update of the Spaghetti Western, part buddy cop film, and filled to the brim with traditional 1980s action movie excess before that was really a thing. Lots of typical Norris elements here. Norris's lone wolf, cop, slash marine, slash martial artist takes on a sinister terrorists, slash mobsters, slash drug lords, slash gunrunners. He's often button heads with military or police authority because he doesn't play by the book, and quite often he's forced into taking matters into his own hands because the bad guys fuck with his friends, slash family, slash dog. The family, the friends, and the dog thing all happen in this, so it's sort of a triple whammy for him. The funny thing is he actually seems more upset by his dog being killed. Later, it's his daughter getting hit that sets him off. So I guess it's nice to know where you are on the pecking order of importance with Chuck. Dog greater than daughter. Oh, and there's a random badass sequences showing Norris being a badass because, hey, insular, masculine, insecurity, and whatnot. There seems to always be something like that in Chuck Norris films. Uh, He always has like a some sort of training montage or just some random uh, encounter with like a street thug where he just wipes him, wipes the f- floor with him, you know, just to show how badass he is. Uh, <laughs> it's always amusing. It's, it's almost like it must have been written into his contract or something for every movie. Also of note, there's also a sort of a side character in this. Um, David Carradine's the main villain, but there's also this side character who's a gunrunner, and he's this... Uh, evil midget. <laughs> he's his midget in a wheelchair, and he likes playing video games, uh, and he likes laughing and smiling a lot. Uh, he, he, he sort of comes off as like a uh, third-rate James Bond villain. So, you know, they basically throw everything into this film. Like I said, uh, it, it's part Spaghetti Western as well. Like, they, they sort of start, the whole opening of the film plays like a Spaghetti Western. It has a Spaghetti Western-type soundtrack going for it. There's more stuff in here, uh, more cliches, uh, including a young Texas Ranger he doesn't want to take under his wing. Uh, and the Texas Ranger, by the way, is played by the uh, guy who played uh, Chakotay in Star Trek Voyager. <laughs> also, there's the main bad guy's uh, woman falling for him and trying to domesticate him. Uh, of course, Norris can only take so much, and it's uh, probably best that she ends up dying in his arms so he can continue to live like a slob and keep beer in his fridge, uh, which is, it's funny, he comes back to his house and finds her uh, vacuuming up his place and straightening everything up and putting vitamins on, on top of his fridge, these big pill bottles full of vitamins, and she had thrown all of his beer into the fucking uh, trash can. So, uh, yeah, Chuck's not going to have any of that garbage. Um so, anyway, I say, you put aside the usual America fuck-yeah stuff we find in every Norris film, and this is probably one of his best films, if only because he's up against a smarmy and quite dangerous David Carradine, who is so bad that badass that he can wear clothes a socially awkward history professor wouldn't be caught dead in. And it's funny, uh, he's got all these bland, 
like uh, tan colored sweaters and pants and stuff he wears. He look he looks like um, he he looks like he should be in a library somewhere. Honestly, uh, I, I don't know, but uh, David Carradine manages to pull it off just because he's so uh, he just sort of radiates badass uh, much more than. Uh, Chuck Norris does, anyway. The half Peckinpah, half Leone martial arts throwdown between Norris and Carradine at the end is a thing of beauty. And it is. It's really the thing to watch this film for more than anything else. Um, they have this slow motion, spaghetti western style face off, but instead of shooting at each other, it's uh, all martial arts action. And it's actually a really good uh, fight. So, yeah, Lone Wolf McQuaid is actually worth checking out. It's. It's one of those ones that are, it, it truly is so bad it's good. If you appreciate these uh, sort of silly Chuck Norris films like I tend to, uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. So it's worth checking out. All right, uh, we'll move on now. Uh, we're going to talk uh, a couple reviews from my archives. I was going through all kinds of different ones I wanted to talk about. I'll save some for a future intermission. Uh, I figured since we're still sort of on the sex comedy kick, I just list these two, and it's going to be Flesh Gordon and Flesh Gordon 2. Uh, so here's what I had to say about those. Uh, Flesh Gordon from 1974, starring Jason Williams, Suzanne Fields, Joseph Hudgens, William Dennis Hunt, Candy Samples, Michael Brandy, Michelle Brandy? I don't know. I can't pronounce that name. Directed by uh, Michael Benaviste and Howard Zeem. So here we, here's what I said. This so bad it's good soft porn parody of Flash Gordon is notable for its constant assault of sex jokes, unattractive people having sex, the blandest looking action hero ever, cheesy special effects, horrid acting, and a constant lack of any taste at all. I like that in the movie. Anyway, Flash, along with the most oh, almost always naked Dale Adore and the perverted scientist Dr. Flexi Jerkoff, must stop Wang the Perverted from Planet Porno, who's using a sex ray on Earth that is causing massive orgies. Uh, and I write in brackets here, I've never figured out why this was really a bad, that bad of a thing, but whatever. Throw in stop-motion penis monsters, the monster of death, underground cult of dykes, a rebel faction devoid of heterosexual males, and the rape bots, and you have an enjoyable bit of cinema trash that's deserving of its cult status. The things I like the most, Wang, for one, is one of the most over-the-top villains I've ever seen, looking like a cross between Fu Manchu and a Kabuki actor with way too much makeup. Also, I always got a kick out of Flesh's little roid rages he'd have, where he'll just start trying to strangle whoever made him mad. Uh, finally, the ability to get uh, every bit of c comedic mileage out of Dr. Flexi's last name is something to commend. And uh, it also features a really cool um, sort of stop animation sequence as well, which is uh, probably one of the highlights. And it has a sort of a parody of some of those old uh, disaster films. Uh, it's got this like superimposed uh, scene in it, sort of like uh, Fl uh, Clash of the Titans, where you see all this rubble and stuff supposedly falling on people and killing them. Uh, so it's pretty good. I enjoy it. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. It's not really a porno, but it sort of is at the same time. So so there you go. Uh, we'll go to Flesh Gordon 2 now from 1989. This is starring Vince um, Murdocco, Robin Kelly, Tony Travis, William Dennis Hunt, Morgan Fox, and Maureen Webb. Directed by Howard Zeem. Also known as Flesh Gordon Meets the Cosmic Cheerleaders. This was made around 20 years after the original cult classic. How does it stand up? 
sort of like a half-erect penis. The production is much better, and the only cast member returning uh, from the original is the guy who, play, who plays Wang the Perverted. What is he up to? Well, seeing as how the sex ray didn't work out too well for him, he's decided to make a ray that causes impotence instead. This really pisses off the cosmic cheerleaders because they come from a planet where all the men are hung like French bread. So who can save them? Flesh Gordon, of course, who's now a well-known galactic hero who is still dating a now very different-looking Dale Lador and is still friends with a now very different Dr. Flexi Jerkoff who really doesn't capture the weirdness of the original Jerkoff from the first film. Uh, the Dale Adore presented here is much more foul-mouthed and tough than the helpless Dale of the first film who would let anyone and anything screw her pretty much senseless. Uh, the cheerleaders kidnap Flesh, so Dale and Jerkoff attempt to rescue them. None of them realize at this point that Wang is behind it all. He spends most of the film under a black KKK-like hood and cloak, and being assisted by one of the most over-the-top evil scientists I've ever seen on film, as well as a fat, annoying wife. Yes, Wang is married now. That provides some of the best comedic elements of the film. The film goes for gross-out gags instead of constant nudity and sex this time around. Uh, the sexual imagery and innuendo are still present, uh, as well as the overall sense of bad taste. For example, just check out a scene involving the new gay version of the penis monster. Flesh and Jerkoff had to escape being rectally invaded from what would have been the mother of all buttfuckings, but by entering a very vaginal underground cave, which turns out to be the dried-up vagina of a long-dead giant Amazon woman. What do they find inside? A race of walking, talking turd people. I shit you not. Okay, that was bad, I'm sorry. So we get the already mentioned penis monster and the race of living turd people, a cumbath, half-human, half-dog servant men, uh, warrior lesbians, a giant King Kong ripoff who takes a piss off the Empire State Building and then makes a massive crap, and this is just to name the most notable things. There is plenty more of this stuff. Despite all this, the movie seems to have lost a lot of the charm of the first film for some reason, but it's still worth checking out if you're a fan of politically incorrect trash film. And yeah, it, it actually plays like a, uh, almost like a parody of the first film, which itself was a parody, so it's kind of weird that way. But uh, they're actually both enjoyable films, especially if you're drinking. They, they make for uh, a fun watch. So yeah, I uh, recommend uh, you find those ones. They're probably on YouTube, I imagine. I'm sure there's there's probably even Blu-rays of them out there somewhere. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll make Blu-rays of anything these days, so probably not too hard to find. Alright, uh, and we'll go into the final little segment here, talk about Kung Fury. Uh, some people might know about this film. It's only sort of taken uh, YouTube by storm in the last week. It premiered uh, May 28th on YouTube and, uh, YouTube. YouTube and Steam. It's a, basically a Swedish martial arts comedy short film, uh, written, directed, and starring uh, a guy named David Sandberg. Um, this was funded by uh, Kickstarter. Uh, originally, their goal was, I think, $200,000, and he made it to $630,000. Um, the original idea was to do just a 30-minute uh, sort of demo film and then somehow get to raise uh, about a million dollars to make a fe feature-length film. Uh, so they didn't quite get there, but they did make the 30-minute film, and that's what's on YouTube now, free to download or watch, whatever. And yeah, it's uh, one of these retro films. One of these films that, you know, really uh, rely heavily on sort of retro 80s imagery. The whole thing's set in Miami. 
Uh, Kung Fury is this super cop who was struck by lightning and bit by a cobra at the same time, so he gained these super kung fu powers. Um, so he's constantly fighting crime. Uh, in this film, he's uh, put up against Adolf Hitler, who goes by the moniker Kung Fuhrer. His his whole goal is to kill Kung Fury and gain the ultimate uh, knowledge of Kung Fu or some shit like that. Kung Fury essentially has to travel through time to find Hitler in the 1940s in Nazi Germany and and destroy him. And so that's sort of the whacked out, whacked out premise of the film. I gotta say, and I'll go to uh, go to my review of it here, uh, I think it sums it up pretty well. Basically, I said, you distill the 1980s into a live-action anime demo reel, and this is essentially what Kung Fury is. It plays like a pilot uh, pitch to Adult Swim of a show from someone who has watched Samurai Cop and the Miami Connection far too many times and decided to remake them as Manborg. At feature length, there would be the potential for this to wear out its welcome far too quickly, but at 30 minutes, this all feels just right. Decent jokes, great visuals, and a good neo-1980s electronic score Keep this moving. Worth your half hour. And I think it is worth your half hour. Um, there's a lot of basically throwing everything on the wall and seeing what sticks, you know? So you've got the 1980s cop. He has this hacker friend who sends him back through time via uh, sort of a video game montage thing. Uh, he goes too far back in time at one point and, and shows up in the Viking Age, which also happens to be full of dinosaurs for some reason. Um... And so he gets some help from some Viking babes. They take him to Thor, the god of thunder, of course. And he sends him to Nazi Germany, and then he goes to fight Hitler. And then, of course, he has to have a little help from his team, um, including the partner that he's reluctant to take on uh, after his original partner dies, who is uh, Triceracop. Who, <laughs> a Triceratops, half-human, half-Triceratops police officer, of course. Um, so almost there's a, there's an element of like axe cop in here as well, um, and I you might not be familiar with Manborg. I mentioned that sort of apes and feels like Manborg in style. Manborg's a film from the uh, Astron Six guys from here in Canada, and if you ever seen that or if you've seen Father's Day, also from Astron Six, uh, you'll you'll get the idea right real quick what I'm talking about. A lot of computer generated backgrounds, just a lot of weird characters, strange stuff, uh, all, all happening at once, um, goes by really quickly, too quickly for it to wear out its welcome, so that's really good for this film, especially, um, if this had been a feature length, I don't think it would have worked as well, um, but this just has the right amount of jokes and the right pacing, um, I really like the soundtrack on this one, it's sort of this, uh, what do you call it, retro wave, I believe, or synth wave, I think is sort of the the names for the uh, sort of genre. It's this sort of recreation of 1980s music, but it's really not a recreation of 1980s music. It's sort of a uh, riff on it. It's uh, sort of taking those really low-budget, uh, cheap synth soundtracks and stuff you'd find in old horror movies and exploitation films, and then like turning it into, uh, I guess, uh, much more better composed pieces. Uh, all, there's a lot of artists that do this sort of stuff now. Um, Mitch Murder and Lost Years are the ones who do stuff on the soundtrack for Kung Fury, as well as Highway Superstar and Beta, Betamax. But there's other uh, bands out there that are like this. Uh, there's like Laserhawk, Mega Drive, Calm Trues, and Time Cop 1983, just to name a few. 
And honestly, I think a lot of these are sort of inspired, these movies that you see now are kind of inspired by Drive. Uh, if you remember, Drive had a sort of a retro 80s feel to it as well, but a bit more, of course, a lot more serious, a lot more straightforward drama, a lot more serious. Um, but it had uh, Kavinsky on the soundtrack, which is very, very similar to uh, the stuff you hear on this soundtrack. Uh, it, it does a really good job. Uh, I think it's worth your half hour. So uh, if you're interested in trying it out, uh, it is quite hyped up, but um, just like Mad Max Fury Road, uh, it sort of lives up to the hype, if you're into that sort of thing. So yeah, check it out, Kung Fury. Uh, just search for it on YouTube, you'll find it real quick. Uh, and yeah, that's about it. I'm going to wrap up here for uh, for today, guys. Uh, hope you enjoyed another episode of the Intermission series. Uh, like I said, there's probably going to be another one for next week as well. Um, and then hopefully we will get back on track finally for uh, official episodes reviewing films again. And uh, so you want to contact us and all that stuff, just listen in the end here for all of our contact info, where to go, where to find us, leave questions and comments. Uh, we read them all, try to respond to them all. And yeah, thank you very much, guys, for listening. We'll go out with one of these uh, retro wave songs, probably something from... Um, Laserhawk, because I kind of like Laserhawk. So, all right, guys, see you later. Bye bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For our other episodes, links to Daniel, Paul, and Lee's other stuff, and links to some great podcasts of similar interest, visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can leave us comments on the site or directly email us. We listen and respond to everything. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>